It's one thing to have a dream in our heart. It's one thing to have a sense of God's calling on your life. But if we truly believe that God is calling us to something, then at some point we need to stop dreaming and start doing. And that, let me tell you, is one of the most difficult times of all. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're going to take a look at the reality of taking up our cross and following Jesus wherever he's calling us, whatever it costs. And do stay tuned because in just a few minutes, I'll be telling you about my free daily devotional, Fresh. It's all about helping you dive deeper into God's word, drawing you closer to Jesus and letting him make you all that he created you to be. In my experience, having a dream to do something, to get out there and be who God made you to be and do what God made you to do, that dreaming bit is the easy bit. It's easy to sit on the sofa and dream, but dreams don't come to fruition until you go and do something about them. There's a powerful spiritual principle that you discover in the book of Acts, chapter 12, where an angel comes to release the apostle Peter from prison. Have a listen to this. Acts, chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists, and the angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. The spiritual principle is this. God expects us to do the things that we can do, and he expects to do the things that we can't do. There are two parts to that principle. Get either part wrong, and things just don't happen. If you expect God to do the things that you're capable of doing, Hey, nothing's going to happen. If you think that you're going to do the things that only God is capable of doing, still nothing is going to happen. The angel told Peter to get up quickly and then God caused the chains to fall off his wrists. The angel told Peter to get dressed and follow him. And then God ended up doing the rest by causing the prison gates to swing open. The problem often is that when God taps us on the shoulder and says it's time to go, we, we just don't want to get up that quickly. And that's exactly the problem Moses had. You'll remember, if you were able to join me on the program last week, that we've been looking at the life and the times of Moses, possibly after Jesus, the most prominent and successful character in the Bible. And when you read some of the pithy accounts of Moses in the New Testament, he is, after all, the most spoken about Old Testament character in the New Testament, you can easily get the idea that he was an overnight success. But that's not true. After 40 years of living in privilege as Pharaoh's adopted son, he kills an Egyptian guard who was abusing one of his fellow Hebrews and as a result has to flee into the wilderness where he lives for the next 40 years. A place and a time as we saw where God was getting him ready to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt towards the promised land. We're going to pick up the story of Moses' overnight success at this moment of transition after 40 years as a burnt-out old wreck in the wilderness when God finally comes to him to call him to get up and go and do what God had always made him to do to lead God's people out of Egypt. 
Now, you might think at this point that Moses would get up, dust himself off and say, well, you know, it's about time, God. Do you realise I've been rotting out here in the wilderness, forgotten by you after all those years of privilege in Pharaoh's house? But that wasn't exactly how Moses responded to God. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. So Moses was out there keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it wasn't consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses! And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, what, what, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Now, the last thing that Moses wanted to do was to go and confront Pharaoh. In fact, he had another four excuses on top of that one. And eventually God gets so angry with him and shows him a couple of miracles to get him going. We all want overnight success. But after 40 years of rotting in the wilderness, after 40 years of self-pity, after 40 years of being the victim, well, you know, you can get comfortable with being a victim. Get up and go. Are you, are you serious, God? You see the paradox? What I love about God's word is that it's as fresh and alive and relevant today as it was thousands of years ago when it was written. And I know that there are just a few people today who need to hear this. God's call on your life has seriously disrupted your status quo. You've experienced some time cooling your heels in the wilderness. You've got used to it. And all of a sudden, God comes along and says, well, quickly, get up, let's go. If Moses hadn't gone, Israel would have perished in slavery. If Peter the apostle, thousands of years later, hadn't gone, he'd have died in prison. What about you? Are you ready to go when God calls you? Well, are you? Dreams, ideas, hopes, plans, they're all wonderful things. 
The thing that makes them so exciting is that they don't have a downside. I can sit on a sofa all day, day after day, dreaming about the great things I'm going to do, the great things that God could do through me. And you know the best thing about those dreams? They never face any opposition. There, there are no obstacles when you're dreaming because your dreams can go wherever you want them to go. Although I know that when I was dreaming about doing what I'm doing now, those dreams were a bit scary because they were so ridiculously big. I mean, if I'd told anybody what I felt that God was calling me to, to share this good news of Jesus with millions of people, given who I was then and the mess my life was in back then, they'd all have thought I was delusional. Once you actually step out of the dream and you start living the dream or or calling or motivation, whatever label you'd like to put on it, the first thing that happens is that you run into opposition. And opposition, it seems, comes at you from every direction all at once the moment you step over the starting line. We all want to become an overnight success. We do. It's always part of the dream to fly first class from A to B by the most direct, quickest possible route without any turbulence along the way. (laughs) But God isn't so much into overnight success. God wants to grow your faith, my faith, by teaching us to play the long game, by taking us on a circuitous wilderness journey along the way. That's how he grows our character. That's how he knocks the rough edges off. That's how he breathes humility and gentleness into our heart. That's how he builds courage into our DNA as we experience firsthand God's faithfulness day after day after day. As we joined Moses on the journey last week, we saw how God gave him a heart for the misery of his fellow Hebrews how that heart disrupted his life and popped him alone in a wilderness for 40 years and how difficult it was for him finally, after all that time, to follow God's call to confront Pharaoh and lead the chosen people out of Egypt back to the promised land. None of those stages is easy. Following God's call on our lives, living out the dreams that he's placed on our hearts, those things are never easy. But once you get going, once you're on the road, surely you know things must get easier, right? Well, not for Moses. Let's pick up the story. He's been to Pharaoh and he's given him God's message. Let my people go. Nine times Pharaoh said no. And nine times God sent plagues upon Egypt until finally after God struck down the firstborn of all in Egypt, Pharaoh relented and the Israelites fled. But no sooner were they on the road than Pharaoh decided to chase them and destroy them. Perfect. Just perfect, God. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 to 12. And as Pharaoh drew nearer, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What what have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Remember I said to you that the opposition seems to come from all directions? Poor old Moses, 80 years old. Now he has Pharaoh's great army pursuing him from behind and in front of him he has a grumbling, complaining rabble. 
some call from God, some road to success. Excuse me, God, but, but could we just call it all off at this point, please? That's what most of us end up saying to God, isn't it? And yet God stepped in because Moses had done what he could do. So God now did what only he could do. Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night. One did not come near to the other all night. See, there it is, that spiritual principle again. God expects us to do the things we can do. And he expects us to leave to him the things that only he can do. That's exactly what happened here in the wilderness at the beginning of the Exodus. God showed up. God was faithful. God guided them. God intervened. And then God put himself between Israel and her enemies. And listen, that's always what God does. He takes us to the edge. He puts us deliberately between a rock and a hard place so that unless he shows up, we'll fail. And then he shows up. It's happened so many times in my life, and you see it so many times over the next 40 years as Moses leads this grumbling, complaining, faithless nation of Israel through the wilderness towards the promised land. God always shows up to deliver. God always shows up to guide, to feed, to protect, and to deal with the grumblers and the complainers. The one thing you and I do not want to be on our exodus is a faithless grumbler and complainer. Remember, it was only an 11-day journey from Egypt to the outskirts of the Promised Land. But because of their lack of faith and their complaining, it took them 40 years. And then, because of their lack of faith, all but two of the million or so Israelites who originally left Egypt under the staff of Moses perished in the wilderness. Only two of the originals, Joshua and Caleb, as well as the next generation, ended up crossing over into the Promised Land. There's a lesson in that, I have to tell you. As you read the rest of the book of Exodus, you see how many times the Israelites turned their backs on God, worshipping idols, not believing God's promises, turning on Moses. In fact, so much so that God was going to wipe them all out until Moses fell on his face and intervened for them. Do you really want to follow God's call on your life? Do you really want to live the dream that he wove into your DNA before time began, then forget the idea of overnight success and get ready for your exodus. It wasn't easy. It was a long, long, long road for Moses. And yet God worked mightily in him and through him to achieve his purposes, God's purposes, not Moses' purposes. Do you think that Moses would have planned it this way? No way. 40 years, another 40 years in the wilderness, this time with a grumbling, complaining, ungrateful people under his charge. Overnight success? Forget it. It's hard work. It's about difficult times in the wilderness. It's about opposition from all directions, from inside your own camp and from the enemy outside the camp. It's always how God works. He achieves his perfect will through imperfect people in imperfect places.
If we approach life on the basis that it's all about us, that, that we are at the centre of the universe and that everything else has a revolve around us, then it's a disappointing notion to think that we may not get to see all that God has planned to do and to achieve through us. And there are plenty of people who have that perspective. The world is full of I'm at the centre of the universe kind of people. Sadly, churches are also full of those sorts of people. I'm on Facebook, as you may know, and I saw something the other day that really, really annoyed me. A prominent Christian posted a graphic that said this, Lord, I thank you in advance for my financial overflow. Really? So I posted this as a response. Lord, I thank you that you died for me even without the clothes on your back. And Lord, I thank you in advance that you have called me to take up my cross and follow you, no matter where you should lead or how much it may cost me, even if it should cost me my all. Two entirely different perspectives on our faith. One says that it's all about me. The other says it's all about Jesus. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I live my perspective out perfectly every day. I, like you, am a sinner, and I, like you, make plenty of mistakes. But the question is, what's your fundamental perspective? How do you look at this world? With you at the centre or with Jesus at the centre? Because if it's you at the centre, you are going to be horrified to find out that you won't get to see all the plans that God's purposed to work out involving you. But if you see your world with Christ at the centre, then the fact that you won't get to see it all, be involved in it all, get the kudos for it all, will be an absolute delight. Overnight success. As we've seen in this series so far through the story of Moses, there's pretty much no such thing. Moses spent 40 years in privilege in Pharaoh's house, 40 years alone in the wilderness tending sheep, and then another 40 years leading God's grumbling, complaining, faithless people through the wilderness. And if you read the pithy account recorded many years later in the book of Hebrews, you could easily, easily come to the conclusion that Moses was an overnight success, a bit like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Let's have a look. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 29. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And by faith the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. Not half bad. And when you stand back at a distance like that, it seems that Moses was a great success, and yet Moses failed God, and so he never did get to enter the Promised Land. He did get to complete the mission and lead the people across the Jordan into the Promised Land. He didn't get to see the promise of God fulfilled in his life. Have a listen. Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. The Israelites, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Tzin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. 
Now, there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarrelled with Moses and said, Would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus shall you bring water out of the rock for them. Thus shall you provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord, as he'd commanded him to do. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarrelled with the Lord, and by which he showed his holiness. It's pretty harsh. I mean, you read the account in the book of Hebrews, and Moses was this amazing man of faith, really. Yet because of this one small failure, a lapse in his faith, God kills him off before entering the promised land. But listen up. It wasn't about Moses. It was about God. Imagine if Moses had been the one to both lead Israel out of Egypt and then 40 years later lead them into the promised land. The people, God's people, would have ended up worshipping Moses instead of God. And God doesn't share his glory with any man. Moses, as great a leader as he was, as much faith and courage as he had, it wasn't about Moses. It was always about God's plan, which went way beyond the wilderness, way beyond the promised land, through the cross of Christ, down to you and me. Moses, like everyone else, just had a small part to play in a much bigger plan. God is playing the long game, get it? Well, that's about all that we have time for. But before we go, don't forget that you can receive Bernie's devotional fresh into your inbox each day. A powerful scripture verse together with some words of inspiration, hope, and encouragement to help you be all that God made you to be. You can watch the video, listen to the audio, or read the devotional. It's completely up to you. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and you'll find the Fresh E-Devotional sign-up right there at the top of the homepage. And when you do subscribe, you'll immediately receive a free copy of Bernie's ebook, How Can I Hear God Speak to Me? That web address again is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer, and you've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimette.